0: Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question, what's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more. All with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast for episode number 27. My conversation this week is with an old friend, Timothy Gordon. Tim and I first met in 2013 at an ACT boot camp, ACT being acceptance and commitment therapy or Acceptance and Commitment Training, and Tim will detail a little bit about what ACT is since I know I haven't talked about it really much at all on the podcast yet. So this conversation seriously blew my mind. There were lots of times I had to be like, stop and define that word, Tim, because we are not all following you right now. (laughs) Um, But he's able to break it down in a way that is really accessible. His energy is so palpable. You guys are going to love Tim. I know already he's going to be a repeat guest. This is probably my favorite conversation so far. Make sure to check out Tim at The Zen Social Worker. On YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. He's the author of the book The Act Approach, um, co authored with Jessica Boroshak. And he is one of the creators of mindful yoga based acceptance and commitment therapy. So, holy crap, you guys, he's pretty awesome. Um, also, if you notice a little bit of ambient noise, I am recording this intro from the parking lot of Once Over Coffee Bar in Austin, Texas. Um, here, for the past few days visiting family honoring the life of my grandfather and it's been a really lovely trip spending time with family and actually allowing myself a little bit more downtime and work and reflection time um, as opposed to way over scheduling myself socially like I normally do. Uh, Last night we went and saw the green book which is nominated for a bunch of Oscars, really kind of suck at going to the movies. Uh, I love movies, but I tend to find myself, as I think a lot of us, there's so much great television these days that it's almost hard for me to make the time to, I'm like, oh my God, an hour and a half, two hours or more? Like, that's a long time to be watching one thing, which is so horrible with the attention span. But this was a phenomenal movie about um, Dr. Don Shirley and his friendship with Tony Villalonga, I believe, um, in kind of 1960s race relations in America. Incredible, highly recommend. Um, yeah, I think that's really it. Oh, another thing I wanted to share is this past week I launched an, a website for a little side hustle, a little side business called The Healer's Copy Fairy, where I will be writing web copy and other copy for therapists, coaches, and other healers. So I'm super excited about that. You can find it at thehealerscopyfairy.com. And yeah, let's get into this conversation with Tim Gordon. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. Tim Gordon is a social worker in Canada and internationally recognized peer-reviewed act trainer. He specializes in treating attachment and trauma-related disorders. Tim is also a yoga teacher who practices or who integrates movement and yoga practices into his work. His research has included yoga as a mental health intervention, act for chronic pain, and act with neonatal intensive care units. Oh my God. Uh, Tim is passionate about empowering people in various settings to use ACT and has worked with Canada's parliament and is involved with bringing ACT to sub-Saharan African countries with his colleagues at Commit and ACT. And as I said to Tim at the end of our conversation, if if he weren't so damn likable, I'd probably really hate him because of how accomplished he is. Um, but no, he's incredibly grounded down to earth. Um, his energy is you guys are going to feel it. So Tim will definitely be back on the podcast at some point. And meanwhile, enjoy this conversation. Tim Gordon, who do you think you are?
1: Uh, Well, mom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say who the fuck and then I, re- I self-corrected and then I was like, no, I really no,
1: should. No, no, yeah. no. No, because that's not what my mom would say. My mom would totally be like, who do you think you are? Who gives you the right? But like, yeah. if you were like, the fuck do you think you are i think i can answer that easier who do you
0: work for
1: <laughs> myself that's the problem yes. <laughs> that's are where you, it all went wrong
0: are you a good boss
1: um i'm a demanding boss
0: yeah a, you are you must be like a workhorse like oh my god
1: i i am totally open to admitting this and i am working on it i've had a health issue in my life um there's this really interesting thing by the way I totally there's can I like out myself about something right now would that be cool? All right. I love like hosting podcasts and like giving workshops because I feel like there's like there's more of like a um like a point whereas when I'm on podcasts I always feel like I'm on a really bad date. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm talking about myself too much. You know what I mean? I'm oh, like that, the things that I'm saying aren't that interesting so please like interrupt me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I will, but, and that's hilarious, but I'm like, think of it as a, um, a therapy session where you're supposed to talk about yourself more than I do.
1: <laughs> yes. But that's why therapy doesn't work for me. I don't like talking about it. No, I'm joking. I'm totally messing oh, with you.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's find out where that comes from, Tim.
1: Right. Yeah. Some, we can so t- some I'm actually there. very willing to go there on a podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: What um, I was, was going to say is I, um, uh, so literally, the month that I started my um that I went all in on my independent practice so I'd had it running for a a fair period of time but I was I was really tempting this idea of getting out of uh, working for this not-for-profit agency and really going all in on working for myself. And it's this really interesting story. I, I had you know I, I mentioned it earlier, you know, my mom, she's somebody that's really important in my world. And I remember i was I was driving home from work. It was August, and I was saying, like, ah, I'm kind of thinking that, you know, working for an agency is kind of wearing thin on me a little bit. I really like the work. It's good work, but it's I don't really have as much autonomy as I would like to have. Um you know, there's certain cases that, I get directed in a, in a certain way. I work mostly with attachment and trauma cases. Like that's what I'm a specialist in. And I, I really was developing this deep sense of expertise that was guiding me in a different direction than a, let's say, not-for-profit counseling agency could go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had that desire for autonomy. And I remember, you know, in her, in her very like gentle wisdom was like, but it's a consistent, secure income. And I was like, yeah, no, you're right. I just need to figure out how to kind of flex this. And I kept kind of rocking that for a couple months. And then in October, I found out from our executive director that we there had been a regime change in Canada. Somebody that we didn't elect had taken over and had made some really big financial decisions about child protection and about um, child, adolescent, family work uh, in Canada land. A lot of those things are, are subsidized. And uh, our program lost funding. Wow. And that was supposed to be a five-year commitment with a a brief kind of um, with a clawback in order for us to gain autonomy. And we've been doing a lot of fundraising and stuff, but it just it wasn't enough. You know, we needed that five year or at least a couple years worth of buffer for the provincial government to pay for the program. And so I found it out in October that the program was disappearing. Uh, Canada Post, our our version of uh, United States Postal Service, came in, bailed us out, gave us the money to keep the program open.
0: The Postal Service
1: yeah yeah that's so insane this This is just this
0: past october
1: no this is going back years ago Oh, years ago okay yeah yeah yeah. this is like oh my gosh this is like six or seven years ago and so the the canada post they bailed us out uh to pay for the the uh interim we stayed open till december 31st that was my last day and wow yeah and it was a nice shove because it was sort of the universe saying like hey bro time to get that uh independent practice swing in full time Yeah. no kidding and you know what? I mean, I don't know. I had built up a good reputation in the community and the transition was smooth. It was actually really cool. There were some moments of anxiety and thinking like, I don't know, do, can I make this a viable full-time business for myself? And um, it was shortly thereafter I was um, having a water in outbreak and I'm going to be a bit, a bit verbose here, but I found a lump on my testicle. Mm yeah and uh and that was the month into starting this independent practice or at least going all in on this independent practice um yeah yeah and so that triggered a sort of series of uh, really severe kind of health issues for me yeah um <clears throat> and so as a boss <laughs> um i'm pretty uh uh i would say pretty demanding on myself and i I'm not afraid to admit that I'm a workaholic and I'm working on it.
0: Hi, same. (laughs) You can relate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my, in a nutshell, like how I got into independent practice and being your own boss. I mean, you run your own practice.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and it's, there's so many wonderful parts of it. Um, And, it's it's interesting like I feel like more now than ever and granted it's not like I've been in my own practice um for a super long time but Mm. I'm a lot of my therapist friends are saying like well yeah I have this like full practice now and that's great and I'm happy um but what's next you know I'm I'm bored like I don't want to just do this and I feel like that's where you are like Holy crap! You wear like eight hats as a trainer yeah. and an author and a content creator, and I'm just like, how? How? And you know, I get it because I just built a, another website last night. So,
1: <laughs> and you—you've been at this for as long as I have. Like, I've been following yeah. you on Twitter since you and I met back in what was that, two thousand and thirteen? Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, I've been. You know, I've seen the meditations that you've had for sale, and a lot of different things that you've been doing online. It's been really cool. And I think, like, we're. Yeah. No. For, let that penetrate you, buddy. <laughs> I think that we're birds of a feather that way. Like, if you're kind of a nerd, and you gravitate towards this stuff, right? Like therapy, behavioral science, helping people, right? Um. I think it's natural that we would want to be a bit eclectic in how we manage our business. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's funny because I find that therapists like helping professionals and I, let me just be really precise about what I mean by that for a moment. Like people who are, let's say social workers, marriage and family therapists, addictions, counselors, mental health counselors, um, psychologists, Tend to have a really difficult time um, being assertive and really owning the, the sort of domain and the work that they do. And what I mean by that is, I will see some really intelligent, incredible. Um, therapists who are doing great work, and I'll say things like, "Hey, this sounds like a really great grant proposal. Have you ever thought about, you know, making this a program where you'd seek some funding for it and roll it out?" Oh no, Tim! I would. What? What are you talking about? What? Or I'll say things like, I, "I've been working with this OT lately, um, who is new to ACT. Shout out to uh, to Louise. She's just like, every time we talk about ACT." She knocks my socks off like occupational therapists do all this super cool sensory stuff that I have been kind of using a little bit, but not as methodically and not as empirically sound of a way as OTs do. And I'm just like, yo, homegirl, like we need to write an article Mm. on this. And, and of course the responses that I get from people, it's kind of like, um, and I think that that's kind of a part of those, those many hats, right. Is, um, um, you know, being willing to chase that, but that's yes. not easy for people. I recognize that.
0: Right. And like you, you've done it enough that, you know, the, the concept of writing an article or now even writing a book is not yeah. something that you go, Oh, I can never do that, which I think a lot of people do.
1: Yes. A lot of people do. You got it. Yeah. You got it.
0: So I easy. imagine, I'm... sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, well, I just wanted to say like, that's also, um, a part of, I've been so, uh, fortunate. Um, the, book that I have coming out in the spring of 2019 I'm working with two other authors um but I've been really fortunate like to have Louise Sanguin, um Jessica Borshock um you know Joanne Steinwax just some really great women in my life where I've been able to connect with them and say like hey why don't we take a risk and do this and it's int- I, I do imagine that this is a total male privilege thing and I I acknowledge that like <laughs> Thank I get you. away with I get away with shit that like women straight up are like, I wouldn't do that because like people would dog me for it. And I'm like, yeah, it probably has to do with the fact that I'm six feet tall. I'm white. I'm a dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I I totally get that. Um, but I've been really fortunate to, to be able to have a team relationship. And if I had to do those projects on my own, they just wouldn't be as rich. Um, and I think that that speaks to another thing about working independently, is a lot of people look at it as this very like it's almost this like I don't know, like maybe you have this sense, Valerie, that like talking about money is almost more like embarrassing or shameful for people than talking about sex,
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent.
1: okay, so tell me if you have this experience where people are like they start their own practice or they're doing their own thing, and they just kind of want to keep that like on lockdown like. I know that people are listening, so I'm doing this thing with my arms, like <laughs> still together, yeah. like, secret little, like
0: little miserly, nah. like yeah. <laughs>
1: totally miserly. I love that. Yeah, like the little sort of hunched over arms, <laughs> and um, and so I found that being able to work as a part of a team, right? If I have a grant opportunity, going to a colleague and being like, "Hey, I have this opportunity to write a proposal for this multi-million-dollar grant, like a, a protocol. Do you want to work with me on this?" Um, and not treating it like a competition, but instead seeing it a little bit more like uh, all boats rise with the tide.
0: Mm, yeah, I love that.
1: Cool. It's benefited me hugely, like unquestion, like like this new relationship that I have with this colleague of mine who's an OT. Like I'm learning an incredible amount of stuff, and we're writing an article for OTs on how to start incorporating ACT and functional contextualism, relational frame theory uh, in a way that works for OTs, and how OTs could mutually benefit that scientific behavioral science world of ACT folks to have a more, um, bi-directional mutually influential relationship.
0: Yeah. That's, that's awesome. pretty dumb stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll say like a little smidgen in the intro about what ACT is, but I would love cool. for you to just like, give us, give us the elevator speech of what yeah. the fuck ACT is.
1: What the fuck ACT is, is <laughs> shockingly simple it's going to seem like common sense if i don't know if your audience is mostly um, helping professionals that listen I'd say um, a mix
0: Probably a mix mostly yeah mostly checks but not all checks
1: that's cool that's cool so what i find is so let's let me start with the nerd part of it act is based on a completely unexpected scientific advancement <laughs> and that unexpected scientific advancement goes something like this you cannot delete what you think you can't get rid of it So you need to learn how to befriend it, how to roll with it. Mm -hmm. And that is straight up what ACT is all about. ACT is the technological version. It's the the package of therapy or coaching that is based on that idea. Hence why we talk about acceptance. Acceptance is straight up about like, if you fight this stuff, it's going to cost you. And you probably can't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So let's look at places where fighting it works, places where fighting it doesn't work. Like something that I have long struggled with is... Um, I was given up for adoption at a young age and, you know, despite the fact that I have been in a lot of different therapy, you can tell me until you're blue in the face, like Tim, like you're very lovable. Like you have these people in your life who adore you and your parents adopted you. And can't you see that like you are loved? Sure. But like when I get home from that therapy session, waiting for me at the front door, almost like a faithful dog is this like, yeah but they don't know this about you or they don't know that you're actually like truly unlovable there's something wrong with you yeah and that's i think something deeply profound about this process because like i think what we're learning here is what we struggle with need not be the enemy
0: yeah yeah and and i think that like when i hear that you know there's like a part of my clinical training and background that's like oh, well, you know, clearly you need to to process those wounds in a deeper way. Like have you done EMDR and, you know, like maybe (laughs) if we just do enough, you can bring that down to a zero, which I don't know how much you know about EMDR, but like I do do it and yet I have a philosophical problem with the idea that the subjective unit of distress, that it's supposed to come to a zero. Because like I'm sorry, but like – you're you're never going to be like i mean you can be grateful that you were adopted but you're never going to be like i am so glad that you know the people who i was born to like wanted to give me up that i just have no no connection to what that means about i mean it's just not realistic and yet um i think you said that it's still possible to be friended even if we can't make it go away
1: totally and and let me take you through that journey for me because like between the unlovable tim And the Tim who like felt this deep sense of grief and loss around my family of origin, even though the people who adopted me are objectively phenomenal and hilarious and sweet. And I attribute so much of like my sense of humor and my generosity and my ability to just like be a person who values helping and loving other people. Like I totally attribute that to them. And... So, there's some therapy that happened between then and then being a young adult, seeking out my biological family and being rejected by them. Ugh. Yeah, right? Totally. And just, like, notice that little part inside of you that, like, dies a little bit with that, right? Yeah. So, I I have this sister who's, like, a year younger than me, and, like, she's such a beautiful person, and I adore her, and yet the relationship with this family is like not possible. Like they don't want this dude in their world. So let's go from like that period of time. Okay. So maybe I was able to reduce my units of distress. And I was, I was able to successfully tell myself your mother was 16 years old when she got pregnant. She was 17 when she gave birth to you. She tried and she couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. She tried She wants you in her world. And then to meet her and for her to say like, no, I don't want you in my world, crushed me. And it totally took all of that processing, all that restructuring, pulled it out from under me. And I was able to use it as like a weapon against myself until I was 27 years old. Like, I suffered with that for a while, day in and day out. Um, And was the only way that I've been able to make peace with it, like even today, like 2019, two friends chilling on a podcast with one another, is to be able to use that hurt that's inside of me as a very clear beacon that like loving and being loved, that matters. Like, yeah. that actually matters to this guy. Do you know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's like the whole post-traumatic growth thing and that while, you know, we wouldn't necessarily ever have asked for this growth to have happened in this way, it's like life happens and we hopefully have the opportunity to get support and to recalibrate and, you know, find the sort of like treasure in the ruins.
1: Hell yeah hell yeah i love how you just said that yeah so, and that's a hopeful message right like because the message is you don't need to be fixed or you don't need to like change anything in order to be okay like my favorite metaphor of this i think this is from like carl young but like um, so everything is ice locked here in Canada land. I don't know about down there. Wait, so, wait,
0: you're going to have to tell me what ice locked means because I'm a Texan originally. and <laughs> I've never heard that term.
1: <laughs> ice locked is like legit. So like if you were to look at the grass, um, anywhere where there isn't snow. So the grass is covered in, it looks like a frosting, like a thick layer of glass.
0: Like and it so you break. can step
1: grass and it and yeah. it does it goes yeah your, your feet the crackle yeah um trees sort of like are bent over because they're so heavy with ice um you have an ice scraper which is useless with this much ice so what you have to do is use the blunt end of it to just smash through the it's like, <laughs> off
0: smash <and> then, like, <laughs> I just webs
1: like like big sheets of, of glass
0: if you have any rage like now would be a good time to you know release some <laughs> of <historic> that please. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so if we took a if we took a sapling and we planted it, um, obviously not here right now, um, and we let's say like cut a deep gash into the into the trunk of the sapling, the gash doesn't disappear. The sapling just grows around it. The gash remains, but the tree as it grows and becomes more robust, that gash is still there, yeah. right? It gets filled in. It becomes a scar, but it never disappears. And that I think is the the message inside of what you and I are, are talking about here is like it's okay to have those scars and that we can learn how to live a meaningful, rich life, but still feeling that hurt. Your hurt need not go away in order for you to be okay.
0: Right. And that's where all of the the kind of – all the, the myths around happiness and like what's the goal and um, I, I love the word equanimity that like maybe – rather than shooting for, like, being in a great mood all the time, because that doesn't sound very sustainable, um, that I can aim for equanimity and be able to, like, kind of welcome everything um, that crosses my path. And, I mean, that doesn't mean that I have to accept abuse or that I can't set boundaries and do that, right? But, like, that there's uh, shit that happens and I can either um, create more suffering by wondering why I can't get over it, or I can, you know, welcome it all in and breathe it all out. And I know that sounds really simple, but, um, it's, that's life, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and it, and there wouldn't be a novel, like genuine way of doing this work if it was just like, oh yeah, duh, like just breathe it in and be okay. right? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean like that, that is a, that is a, a, a real learning process for myself. Um, for the people that I work with, the people that I serve in my practice. And also, I find that therapists who've been doing this work long enough have already been doing a lot of this stuff. They're already wise to it. Many of them are. And especially people who have a history of chronically suffering, whether it be with um, loss or pain, um, they know that the way out is with it. Yeah. Not, not to jump ship, not to bail. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. And I'm thinking about like how the integration with yoga and first of all, how without your yoga practice and meditation, yeah. I imagine that the, the workaholism, you probably would have jumped ship at this point. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, 100%. But, um, so I'd love for you to just share a little bit about kind of your, your spiritual background and weaving through with yoga and meditation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have been, uh, so when I was a kid, I, so I grew up in a, uh, Irish Catholic family. That's who adopted me.
0: You look super Irish. I didn't know that, but I mean, it just totally fits. Really? That's <laughs>
1: yeah. really cool. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of Irish immigrants in this part of, uh, this part of Canada. So, um, <clears throat> when I was really young, like I loved, I don't know, just, like, the theater of church, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and before I, I realized, like, what the Seventh Sacrament meant and what that whole thing looked like, I was like, I could totally be a priest. Like, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. So imagine, like, seven-year-old Tim, right? Uh, uh-huh. And then it was really interesting. As I got older, uh, my parents encouraged me to look at, like, different faith perspectives and just explore, like, my own spirituality. Cool. Um, yeah. And so my, at 13 years old, I got really hardcore into, um, I don't want to say Buddhism cause I, I wasn't really into Buddhism proper. I was really into like nihilism and just sort of like exploring some philosophical perspectives and ended up taking a, um, a sitting Zazen, like doing a proper seated meditation program. And my first ever, um, I'll never forget this guy. My first ever uh, meditation teacher was this very beloved to me um, 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 Yiddish scholar. This old Jewish guy says to me, like, Tim, what do they teach you about God in that Catholic school? I'm like, oh, well, you know, like there's the father, there's the son, there's the Holy Spirit. He's like, okay, look, there's definitely only one God and they're for sure not real. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and, you know, I, I say this in a really loving, really joking way because, I, I mean, that was his personality and it really welcomed me into the, the spirit of, of meditation from this Eastern philosophical uh, perspective, which is uh, to really allow yourself to question everything, to be one who shows up to your experience and not in the sense of like, I'm this enlightened being who's non judgmental. I'm this enlightened being who who is completely relaxed and feels no stress. But in the perspective of can you be free from what your mind produces? Like, can you notice it? Can you notice the tension that shows up in reaction to this? Can you notice um how these different things interact with what you've learned in your past and be an observer of that?
0: Yeah, recognize yeah. that it is not you
1: totally, totally. yeah. yeah, you don't you don't own this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that you're free to learn how to work with it, which, by the way, I think, um, I know that you said, like, you said, it mostly chicks that listen to the podcast, but in my work with men who are offenders, this has been an incredibly profound perspective because largely men aren't socialized in this way. I work with a lot of men who misinterpret, like, sadness as anger all the time because they just don't have the repertoire to be able to identify this stuff, right?
0: Right. <clears throat> yeah.
1: So that was my my intro, um, and i around 13 years old into meditation, and I started a regular uh, seated like a Zazen practice. Rocked that pretty hard for a number of years, and um, when I, I suffered a pretty severe physical injury and was recommended to do some yoga as a part of my rehabilitation, and yoga just all of a sudden it's like everything that i had been working towards in meditation just in an instant just – clicked and I think the reason why is because meditation for me like and I'm, I'm totally this is a joke but like was like okay let's close our eyes and pretend to look serious for a half an hour
0: <laughs> right. right
1: um whereas yoga really helped me to get out of my head and to feel be in full contact in a consistent, in a reliable way over and over and over again. I could show up to a yoga class exhausted. I could show up to a yoga class pissed off. I could show up to a yoga class lonely and sad. And I could still access that stuff more readily, more easily than I could with a seated meditation practice. And that began the spark of me saying like, okay, this could have significant impacts for mental health populations like for the people who don't get the benefits of meditation. I mean, there are mindfulness non-responders like yeah. straight up.
0: Well, at least for like a silent seated practice, for sure.
1: Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so so that really appealed to me as a as a legitimate way in to doing that work.
0: Yeah. yeah. Were you did you gravitate toward a particular type of yoga like a more vigorous athletic more relaxed
1: yeah so um the yoga that i had been doing when i had that physical injury was not very vigorous it was what you would call like a hot yoga class lots of um so not necessarily a restorative class or a completely supine class so active postures but more long held and really more of a resiliency building let's say yoga class but as an athletic young dude i totally then gravitated towards ashtanga yoga like
0: yeah,
1: yeah i'm going to get in there i'm going to like you know do my um my sun salutations and and whip through my my flow sequence and Just
0: master yeah. all the postures
1: totally totally like i was into binding and all that uh-huh. kind of stuff yeah yeah totally um but i knew that that wasn't what i wanted to teach and so i actually did cool two different yoga teacher trainings. I did one in um, India that was like a classical, like hatha yoga teaching. And then I did one in Canada that was like a very therapeutic restorative type of, nice. uh, yeah, that was thanks. That was really cool. That was a really good experience for me.
0: Yeah. It's people who uh, listening, who follow me on Instagram may have heard me rant about this recently, but like, I'm just I mean, and and I get like I don't have to teach a studio though. I right now I primarily no. teach restorative, um, and and I do really love the studio that I'm at. Like it is very, um, we're doing yoga to the Backstreet Boys. Like it's <laughs> if we That's the hilarious. music is yeah. the backbone. Like well, it's it's creative. If you want it that way? I mean, and I do. I do. I mean, but it's funny too because like I had people at that class who were like legit they may not have used this word but but it was like a spiritual experience absolutely um so so it is not at all mutually exclusive and and creative vinyasa to me what i love about that is especially the way that we do it is it really is a dance and then it's a dance that if you are given full permission to just say all right now do your thing then you create whatever you want that dance to be so that's beautiful. It. But um, what what my rant was really about was like that in a lot of uh, – I mean, of course, there's all kinds of appropriation issues that we can touch on a little bit.
1: But, yeah. but
0: even aside from just that, just the focus on this like, you know, if you practice yoga for a long time, then your practice should be advanced and you should want to do binds and you should want to do handstands and arm balances and like all yep. these things. And I just like – I'm like, I'm not real interested in that. And it almost feels like, especially as an instructor, like, what? There's something wrong with that. And um obviously, we know that that's those. I mean, yes, there are people for whom I think the endorphins and all of that that they can get from a vigorous practice can be supportive for their mental health. Like, absolutely. Yeah. but. I think that if people too often like that's what they see when they see yoga and that's not yeah. for them, then they yeah. miss out on an opportunity to have a really uh, healing experience.
1: Completely agree with you. Totally agree. And I, I, I mean, you're, you're picking up on this very, uh, and I mean this with respect, and I mean this in a way where I don't wish to condemn, where I wish to create a context where we can maybe do some healing. But there is a toxic culture in the yoga world. Absolutely. straight up just like anywhere else yeah. in the helping profession world there's toxic cultures yeah. you know I, I read a an article about um nursing students that was titled they eat their young
0: <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah
1: I, and it was written by a a Um, nursing PhD candidate and it was it it absolutely like it was brilliant yeah I mean so these toxic cultures like I mean you know this has been the the topic of that Gillette campaign recently you know that was a tough pill for some people to swallow I don't know why it's so hard to acknowledge like you know and isn't that what radical feminism is about it's like you know the cartoon of radical feminism is like in order for women to succeed men must fail but like no right like radical feminism is able to say like hey guys you know, that, that toxic culture is actually problematic for you guys too. Yes. Right? Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: totally. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm just, I'm 100%. I'm here with you. And I think it's cool that you're doing your own thing and acknowledging that there is that, that pressure there. I think that that's one of the, the key ways of us being able to like work with this and flex with it in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would, I know an embarrassingly little amount about Tantra yoga. And I know that was one of the things that you mentioned you're really into. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit about what Tantra yoga actually is.
1: Well, so Tantra is from the sort of like classical world of of Indian philosophies. Tantra is like the new kid on the block, <laughs> um, but it's still very, very old. Like, you know, let, let's, let's be frank about this. The reason why I'm a fan of Tantra and and Tantra isn't a religion. It's really a philosophy. It's a way of organizing how you think about things. It's a way of um, figuring out how you want to practice your spirituality. And so you could apply Tantra to Christianity if you wanted. You could apply Tantra to Judaism um, if if you are uh, Muslim, for example. I mean, there's there's really not an issue here. And what Tantra states is that Rather than living the aesthetic lifestyle, rather than, let's say, going off to a monastery, withdrawing yourself from the world, that you can live an engaged spiritual life while you do the dishes, mm-hmm. while you wake up and get dressed, while you, you know, make a smoothie for your wife and and kiss her on the cheek and tell her that you love her and play with your kids, right? That Tantra says that there's a way that you can live congruently with your spirituality while you're doing the the business of living. And I especially like Tantra because it acknowledges and has a little bit of separation, a little bit of distance from some of the very uh, problematic patriarchal hierarchy stuff that exists within yoga. One of the interesting things, you know, if any of your listeners are are hip to get turned on to this, there's a, a gentleman named uh, Matthew Remsky, and he's he's pretty controversial in the yoga world, but he has this new project called uh, I think he calls it the acronym is like Wadia, which is like why do we do what we do, um, and he's what he's doing from a I'm a philosophy of science nerd, so what he's doing from a philosophical perspective is he's asking the epistemological questions. How do we know what we know? Why do we practice what we practice? Um, so there's some people like, let's say, the Andrea Seusses of the world, the Matthew Remskys, um, the Tama Sobols who are out there, who are are really starting to critically look at things like the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. And in my experience, having done a yoga teacher training in India, having done a yoga teacher training in many professional development, if you can call them that, in the yoga world, including at Kripalu and other very uh, respected uh, places that offer, you know, the Iyengar Institute of Toronto, places that offer um, credible yoga teacher training, continuing education credits. You know, one of the things that you'll hear is, like, let's say if we were to talk about cutting the tongue um, or mutilating the body in other ways. If you were to bring that up in in these contexts, generally the way that this is regarded is, well, you know, Tim or or Valerie, uh, it's interesting that you're posing this question because those are really for advanced practitioners. Hmm. And I say, no, you go to India and you look at the culture of people who, it is their history, it is their lineage to read this work and to understand the practice of yoga from this, from this perspective means that the body is not therapeutic. You're not doing this practice from a holistic perspective. You're doing this practice for a transcendental experience. You know, you're, you're doing this practice. You might mutilate the body. You might contort the body. You might thrust the the heel of your foot into your perineum to stimulate a physical reaction in your body Mm -hmm. so that you can have this transcendental experience Mm -hmm. so this idea of yoga being good for you being therapeutic (laughs) you notice the tone of voice that i'm using Mm -hmm. here right this is really non-existent in classical yoga this is a western fetishized version of yoga you know so so for those of us who criticize you know like the California power yoga or the P90X yoga, it's like, hey, take a hard look in the mirror because we're doing the same thing, right? Like we're we're using this in order to um, appropriate it and, and do something with it. Now, that being said, and I mean this uh, in a very light at the end of the tunnel, like, so what, Tim? So what do we do about this yeah. then? It's okay to acknowledge our bias. It's okay to say I'm using yoga as a... Um, as a weight training aspect to my workout program. It's okay to say I'm using yoga as a way to deliver long-held meditative postures that offer some sensory experiences, a sensory intervention to help people practice present moment awareness. We could even make, you know, the the argument that appropriation in this sense is um something that we can do in a respectful and a workable way as long as we're acknowledging our biases and talking about philosophically like where we're coming from rather than really trying to pretend like you know oh well, I, I know the heart I know the truth of yoga and uh you know oh well that stuff is just just for this sort certain sect. no like that's a part of of what you're borrowing from you know yeah. you're doing your own thing.
0: Uh, that That is so, so helpful to hear because I'm grappling cool. with all this as as any of us practicing yoga really uh, should be to, to an extent yeah. of uh, re- reflecting on this. And I'm about to jump into the deep end and lead the philosophy portion of a teacher training starting uh, next week. Totally. So,
1: totally. I love um, it. So love
0: it. having to have these hard conversations and to say to them, like, I'm not going to claim to have the answers. That would be problematic in and of itself. But... Yeah here are some things that here are some questions we can be asking here are some things that we can be acknowledging here's some continuing education we can be getting um just wanted to plug too because my our studio owner just brought this to my awareness yesterday there's uh, a woman uh teacher susanna Barkataki who is about to lead an online summit called Honor Don't Appropriate Yoga so it's just at honordontappropriateyoga.com so I'll put that in the show notes and nice. I'm definitely going to be checking that out but yeah. yeah it's I when I think about this sometimes I I have felt like oh my god what we're doing here with it is so vastly different Would it be almost less problematic for us to just not even call it yoga, not even claim that this is what this is? But Mm -hmm. then that has its own issues too. uh, Well,
1: let's let's rewind. I mean, it's a debate. You know, like we're we're getting information that like the 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 shakti of yoga is is that it is um, uh, orally uh, communicated, right? And so, you know, we're trying to get we're trying to derive information from print from uh vases from you know what i mean like sources of information and let's face it like when the when the moguls um invaded india a lot of that stuff was destroyed right kadruho is um not classically considered the home of the creation of yoga of course um, rishikesh in the north of india is but kadruho has the only left uh, pre-medieval Um, examples of of yoga, right? And so we have imps helping a woman into dancer pose. And the reason why the Mughals didn't destroy Kadruho is because it had been abandoned. It was totally overgrown. It wasn't until, um, you know, British colonialist explorers came and, uh, and heard of the lost Amazonian, uh, city that they discovered Cadruho. And, uh, today it's, uh, it exists. I mean, uh, Cadruho was really the home of, um, of Tantra. So today it exists as sort of like what Niagara Falls is to East coasters in, you know, Canada and the U S it's sort of like this romantic getaway place, um, where, you know, young people go to have, um, have their, um, uh, what would you call that? Their honeymoon, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: So, my next question is um Can you get here by five o'clock on Tuesday and teach the yoga philosophy class for me?
1: <laughs> oh, you can Skype me in. I totally, I'd be down to hang out. With you. Uh, I think you a great job teaching the philosophy because you're a very philosophical person.
0: Yeah. But- and my caveat for them is like, yes, I have compiled the information and the resources, but like, I'm going to be straight with them that, um, I'm still learning and memorizing and all of that, especially with the history part, more comfortable with the philosophy components and like the concepts of, of the, you know, yoga psychology and all of this stuff. Um, but the history, like, man, you, you're, you're like a fucking walking textbook. It's great. I'm a
1: nerd, Valerie. (laughs) I love it. I'm a big nerd. Some people are like hardcore into like Warhammer. This is like, this is my thing, right? Like I nerd out on this. (laughs) So, but but let me. I wanted to say something before yeah. um, we got disconnected, and I actually it was nice to have the disconnection because it was an opportunity for me to pause. I went on to um, honor don't appropriate yoga and totally signed up. I'm pumped. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm totally gonna be there. With bells on. This is really cool. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to say is if you read the Yoga Sutras, and of course there are many interpretations and variations of the Yoga Sutras. My suggestion would be to learn a little bit of Sanskrit. I know it's a dead language. You don't need to learn it to speak it fluently, but learn it because it's a very poetic language. Mm -hmm. It's not a very precise language. And the yoga sutras, the yoga threads, are not written in a very precise way. Now, sutras are a very common term in India, There's many different sutras. We have the Heart Sutra. We have all of these different threads. Now the threads aren't a religion. The threads are a historical, poetic storytelling. Mm -hmm. So Tantra, and so keep in mind, I said the Yoga Sutras are a very subversive text. It's a very subversive collection of threads. Tantra is not a sutra tantra is a loom that in and of itself is this like tongue-in-cheek like nerd joke you know (laughs) okay so so go with me on this very punny so what we're what we're looking at here is if you read the yoga sutras i'd like to invite you valerie for your listeners to look at what the yoga sutras are describing the yoga sutras are saying similar to what zen is saying you know Disassemble religion.
0: Mm.
1: Look at your role in your world. Understand your history. Understand your scars and how that blood taints your eyes. It taints how you see the world. The promise of freedom is not that you will feel better. The promise of freedom is that you will realize That you don't have to be governed by this. Now, to me, that is totally where Western science has been trying to catch up to. Yeah. And one of my pet peeves is when people say that um, Act, acceptance, and commitment therapy is based on Eastern spirituality. That's not true. Stephen Hayes has published articles actually talking about how ACT is not based in an Eastern spiritual way of thinking. It's actually based on radical behavioral analysis but dbt is based on um marshall linehan i, I believe that she received dharma transmission yeah. right that she uh and that she had a lot of experiences with buddhism with zen practices i would argue that the wisdom of eastern traditional philosophy which is early psychology right and western psychology the science have been coming into this very close parallel path and ultimately nobody owns yoga right jainism doesn't own yoga buddhism doesn't hinduism doesn't right yoga is really meant to be and not not only for the mystics but it really is this subversive document almost like like when people you know when you realize that the communist manifesto isn't this big book it's a pamphlet like that's what the yoga sutras are the yoga sutras are like hey wake up
0: <laughs> Just tapping you on yes. the shoulder <laughs> <laughs>
1: totally totally um and so i think that that's a part of what's really cool is that we don't have to say that what we're doing isn't yoga we can say no I, i'm a scholar of yoga i'm learning this yoga stuff and it would be the same thing with mindfulness i mean like, do you really think that if Pentageli was one author or a series of authors, like they were making this as something that's open source. They wanted us to edit this and flex it and make it our own, not to create a copyright or a trademark and then to mass manufacture that and sell that to people. That might be good for business. That might be good for a very Western hierarchical way of thinking, but that's not where this stuff comes from. Yeah, And in our own um, epistemology in our own way of knowing what we know in our own way of understanding what we understand we look to the east and we create false hierarchies and this is going to bring me to something that's really controversial but like I have a lot of experience in this there is a lot of corruption in that because there's a lot of money there's a lot of opportunity most of the um, you know time when I see abuse happening, right? We're seeing like rape culture is 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 prevalent as well. We're also seeing like young, attractive women who, oh like you Llama Valerie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And now and now you're going to be my my very intimate sort of partner on this journey and I'm going to groom you in these ways. And, and we see a lot of, of allegations of abuse. Oh yeah sexual violence um it's dangerous to create this this false hierarchy and we need to acknowledge like raja yoga like the royal path of yoga is littered with outright blatantly sexist hostile towards women patriarchal perspectives yeah and i'm just like not interested in uh in continuing to um to purvey that i'm interested in disassembling that and acknowledging that this is a problem
0: yeah. Well, even this is going to sound like a really ignorant phrasing because I don't I don't have all of the, the words or the details. But like, cool. for instance, there's, you know, there's these different um, kind of ashrams, right, that even in the yeah. U.S. Of, of maybe like the one that I, I did a training at in Virginia um, was the Sachidananda ashram. So this guy, you know, come over from India in the 60s. He was known as the Woodstock guru, because he delivered like the opening remark meditation, whatever, at the original Woodstock. And, and there were allegations about him. um, But I think not to the not to the public extent that the organization had to like back away. I mean, he died, you know, 15 years ago or something. But um, so who knows if any of if any of that was valid but i still found that like here's this you know man whose giant photos are up over all of the walls and who we listen to his words every day at lunch in silence and like uh i don't want to disrespect the culture um from which that comes but it it does feel just inherently very patriarchal and Mm -hmm. and hierarchical like i'm supposed to like kind of grovel at and and be like oh well this man like knows so much more than me and and you know it just doesn't feel right
1: well it is it is inherently oppressive yeah yeah and this is it's it's interesting i I love how you said that i'm i'm not offended by that at all and i i understand i get the caveat i mean i give caveats like that myself um because i find myself like i have as my grandmother used to say i have the grace of a hippopotamus
0: (laughs) 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 I'm
1: not as delicate as I could be, as I ought to be, uh, with many of these things. But I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. Not only have I experienced that myself, I've I've witnessed it in action. I agree with you. Um, and these are the things that I think become easy to be complacent to, rather than critically having a conversation about them. And to me, that is really what this spiritual path is is setting us up for is to be able to critically acknowledge these things and also to acknowledge that it's a system that's set up to put these people who are in a position of power to fail right Right. and to and to take advantage of young attractive women to do these things um and for us to recognize like we deserve something better
0: right and i do think there is so much of it that is up to the uh error of human interpretation i mean just like with the bible or any other any spiritual or religious text it's it's like religion itself is not the the enemy it's how we have weaponized it um it's for our own best interests and and all of that stuff and so like like you were talking about the sutras and how you know they're um they're so profound and poetic, even if they're not, you know, it's it's not like a huge, long thing. But yeah. there's so much of what it's saying, like you were saying, uh, is about disassembling, about looking at how, how your vision gets clouded, about um, learning how to work with the mind so that it's, you know, not this constant chatter. Like, it's just, to me not to say it's as simple as we're all talking about the same thing, but I think like there's the, the idea of perennial wisdom of like kind of, we are, you know, (laughs) like at the end of the day, like all faith traditions. And like, if we're all pointing, if we're all steering our ships toward love and uh, I don't, I I, like hesitate to be like, Oh, love and light. But you know what I mean? If we're sort of steering in that direction, then ultimately we all are talking about the same thing
1: totally agree i love that you referenced like it being weaponized because like just as i started meditating when i was 13 my near nerd-like obsession with christianity didn't stop when i was 13 like when i came to realize that like the bible was edited on the whim of a monarch that really pissed me off when i was an angsty teenager you know what i mean (laughs) like (laughs) king james like you watch out you know what i mean (laughs) you can check yourself um so there's like, there's an element of that, but like, let me say something that I think uh, is helpful in the realm of this conversation. So I, I have some friends who are Buddhist psychologists and I, I love going toe to toe with them about the yoga sutras because they'll buy like, they'll go to, um, what do you call it in the U S here? We call it chapters like indigo, right? Like you'll go to like just a big bookstore, Barnes and Noble. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or, you'll buy like a copy yeah. of like you know, a, a, a translated version of the Yoga Sutras, and maybe it'll have like an interpretation. And I love, like, there's these sections where Buddhist psychologists will be like, oh, well, like, that's not what Pentageli meant. Like, in this section, it'll be like, we are ultimately alone. Like, that's not, like, that's what? No, we are not, we're all one. It's like, no, Pentageli, the Yoga Sutras, we are alone. Between yeah. stimulus and response, right? Between what you experience between like, if you and I were to grab a, a a cloudberry off the ground and put that in your mouth and chew it. And it has that, that sort of like, um, immediately like tangy sweetness to it. And you're just, you're enjoying that like between that flavor and the observer, right? There's nothing. Yeah, You are alone. Like you are behind your eyes by yourself. We are not all connected, right? And Buddhist psychologists are like, no, 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 like that's an error in the interpretation. It's like, well, let's look at what these words mean in Sanskrit. Let's look at sort of poetically where this is coming from. Now, I, I think that Pentageli was describing a self as context, a you right. that's there behind your eyes that doesn't feel at one with the universe, a, a you that observes all of your experiences and chooses how to respond, right. who can behave maliciously, who can behave pro-socially, who can behave Machiavellian, uh, or who can be compassionate and choose to love.
0: Yeah, and I think those things are not mutually exclusive. Like, yes, there can absolutely be validity to this concept of universal consciousness, and there's individual consciousness, because nobody, (laughs) I can (laughs) never, ever know if my subjective experience of that, what the fuck did you call it, Cloudberry, don't know what that is, but if my subjective (laughs) experience of that is the same as anyone else's. Yes. And that's my own Absol- consciousness.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we
0: do die alone. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to imagine that like then my little, you know, swirls of energy just like leave my body and like swirl out into all the blades of grass and, you know, visit my family members and stuff. But like, yeah, we, we are alone. We are.
1: So, so I'm going to say something that violates the tradition of my, of my act, folks, because I love what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. Uh, the position of act as a science is supposed to be a ontological and I'm supposed to subscribe to that science. Not that they like force you and say like, you have to subscribe to our science in every way. No, you're Can right. you Tell
0: like... us what a ontological means.
1: <laughs> so it's this, i it's this idea that we take a step back and that we, it's not that we necessarily disbelieve in ontology, but that we choose to have a perspective of the world that is free from an ontological view now back up to
0: fifth grade level. What is ontological?
1: (laughs) So (laughs) what we mean is a philosophy of the world. So can I get a little bit, can I get a little bit nerdy on you?
0: Yes. As long as you define the terms.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because do you know what metaphysics means? Yeah. Okay. So okay. Uh, So like (laughs) imagine when we describe ontology, we're really trying to say like what is the nature of our world what is the nature of reality and to say that we're aontological means i don't care in the kind of qualitative analysis or the description i care about how it works Gotcha. metaphysics is like the belief in um like the supernatural yep
0: yeah okay
1: so we're saying like we don't believe in any of that stuff that we can't see, that we can't measure, that okay. we can't sort of predict. And so we're aontological because we're just like we're not going to take a position on it. We're just okay. going to have a distance from it. It's like our ontology is none. Yeah, <laughs> like
0: gotcha. we don't
1: have one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now that makes sense from a scientific perspective. And I like that as a human being. Like when I'm a really nice person and I and I don't have a really deep voice like a guy. <laughs> typically does, and i don't I don't have the thousand yard stare all the time, Valerie, <laughs> and I talk about my feelings a lot. It really bothers me when people assume what my sexuality is, yeah, so to be aontological, it's like, well, Tim's behavior works in a given context, right? You know he's raised by parents who run a group home. He's raised an environment of people who are sensitive and kind and value connection. And that's how Tim learns how to be, right? Or I get really easily enthusiastic and really excited, right? And I like us to be aontological and be like, yeah, because Tim is pumped, you know? Yeah. Versus being like, well, Tim's on cocaine or (laughs) Tim is like super (laughs) anxious. What is the
0: scientific explanation (laughs) for what's happening right now? Are you manic? Is that what's happening? Totally.
1: So I, I like that aontological position. Yeah. I also believe, though, that um, in some ways it comes from a place of insecurity. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I would say that there are some really good conversations that we could have when it comes, that spirituality has to say about ontology. Um, so we talked earlier about the philosophy of how we know what we know, the epistemology, mm-hmm. right? Why do we do what we do in yoga? How do we know what we know? Well, now we're talking about the ontology. Like, why do we believe what we believe what is our how do we structure our belief about reality Mm -hmm. and what you know we could say you know what the fuck's the purpose
0: yeah yeah i mean seriously this is uh i think that my my brain is somewhere up on the ceiling right now so (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) i'm trying to hold it together trying to hold it together but my my whole concept of reality is being disassembled
1: (laughs) totally totally so like and I know for a fact that there's going to be an article coming out in the Journal of Contextual Behavioral Science within I hope the next year like this uh, 2019 um that is a rebuttal of a ontological perspectives um written by descriptive contextualists and that would be really cool.
0: Uh, well, you know, with all those those long fancy words. Yes, it does sound cool. But I get yeah. what you're saying and, and well, the part that I'm curious about is you said that you think that part of why you you like or gravitate toward the, the A-ontological or the being able to appreciate some more of the subjective experience yeah. that you think is based on an insecurity? What do you mean by that?
1: Um, well, this idea that like we don't want to acknowledge ontology or its role and how our science gets shaped up oh, and how okay. these things get formulated and i think that spirituality like deepak chopra gets made fun of all the time right for talking about like quantum mechanics and quantum physics yeah. and, and then people will be like uh hey deepak i don't think you're totally speaking with a level of like super precision and scope with mm-hmm. your with your language and deepak's like yeah here's what i mean by quantum right here's what i mean by x y and z and i and i think that in science we've become really good at um, falling into this deep trap of discrediting a sort of spiritual understanding of the world or other ways of knowing, if you will. And not that our data should be exclusively based on those things, but that they are, I think, relevant and help shape how we even structure a a, a research question. Let me give a more, if I may, a more practical example. Sure. A trauma therapist works with somebody who experiences severe trauma flooding memories, flashbacks. So this person is really suffering. It's easy to label their behavior that has anything to do with avoidance, escape, or control as pathological rather than taking a more, let's say, radical feminist perspective to look at the world from behind their eyes to invite yourself as the helper to work with that content that you yourself might want to avoid. And not in a fetishistic, tell me your trauma history way, but in a tell me why you struggle today with trauma flooding. What makes that hard? And that can start to shape our own view, our own understanding of what the function, WTF, what the function of their behavior. How is their behavior working in a given context? So this helps me to understand that my client who's sitting right here on the therapy couch this afternoon, right, who has homicidal rage, I can start to understand that that homicidal rage is totally workable. And I can actually, as the helping professional, I typically sit here in my sessions, I can lean in and be like, yeah, you're really angry. And that's actually an improvement in your behavior right now, right on. How can I how can I show up to your anger? Okay, you want to kill your attacker. I can't really support you in doing that. But I also acknowledge that like your anger is welcome here. Yeah. How can I support you in your anger in a workable way that doesn't result in you and I, you know, plotting how yeah. to kill your attacker?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why I love visualization work so much and why I got interested in like hypnotherapy and stuff is like we can yes. do things in the imaginal world that maybe yeah. we can't do in the real world. And I and- – yeah like for instance even just earlier today i'm like um you know if you need to set fire to this room do it like or something else feels like the right move like absolutely and i've had clients burn entire houses to the ground in their memories and like do other just like really amazing stuff that they felt a visceral relief from
1: totally totally yeah you know that tears for fear song shout shout let it all out yeah That was based on primal screen therapy. Steve Jobs did it. I mean, he swears that it like totally changed his life. Yeah.
0: Wow. I didn't know that.
1: Steve Jobs, another adopted dude. Yeah. Well, Um,
0: and going back, I wanted to touch on something uh, again with this, like, um, what happens if we, like, what if it is really all ontological, like everything can be explained, right and and that there's a part of that that I think I agree, I get what you mean now, I think we're resistant to because it sort of takes the the magic and the mystery out of it yeah and and I think that like fortunately, um we're not gonna live to see a day that the human race understands you know the the vast majority of what we're we're still wrapping our heads around, uh so yeah. that magic and mystery remains um yeah. certainly for our lifetimes, but I think that. Even, I can't remember the philosophical approach that basically looks at, uh, says that humans don't have free will, right? Because that every single choice that we make is, if you actually were to look at, everything that's happened to yes. you before like fatalism and, fatalism yeah. exactly yeah, yeah yeah so um and there was just a great episode of of the good place which is a phenomenal show if you haven't seen it you have to watch it that talks cool. about Plugged that for the
1: good place i gotta check that yeah, out yeah
0: and but it's just it's fascinating and i can totally get why we would not want to subscribe to that i mean i don't
1: yeah yeah i think there's some comfort in it you know mm-hmm. um as long as things are going okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, if I chose wrong and everything blew up, well, I guess I can just say uh, I didn't really choose that. So it's
1: yeah.
0: not my fault.
1: <laughs> not my bad.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks, universe. Yeah. Fuck you.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, So I feel like we're, we are kind of and uh, well, I want to ask you more about like what your, your offerings in your book and st- books and stuff toward the end. But sure. I feel like we are naturally kind of circling around that question. Of what is the fucking point of any of this and so beyond kind of what we've already put out there like what comes up for you with that question
1: it's what you make it you have to own it and it's and it's yours to own we have a great culture that's good at disempowering people from that but it's yours you own it grasp it take hold of it unfuck yourself from whatever your mind tells you and figure out how to rock it in your own way whatever that means for you so, like, if you're at home listening to this, feeling like it's outside of your comfort zone to, like, write me and be like, Tim, I really like the things you say, but you also make me really angry, right? Like, <laughs> that's okay, right? Like, I mean, this is yours to own. And I, and I would say that that is what the point is, is. It's what you make it. I mean, we know that, like, people who volunteer... People who engage in community service have a better quality of life over those who don't. They live longer. They have better physical health and better mental health. They're better at social relationships. And I would argue that it has nothing to do with the actual volunteering and everything to do with the fact that it's somebody who's doing something that's meaningful to them. And I think that if we used a metric that was how do you find meaning? How do you find purpose in your world? And how do you chase it? Mm-hmm. That's the valid metric. Like, can you have made a horrible decision that is irreversible in your life, done irrevocable damage to somebody else? Have that cut you deep. Think about ending your life. Think about disappearing and actively choose to understand why that hurts, what matters to you about that and learn how to make a difference. Can you have had something horrible, irrevocable happen to you and for you to connect with that pain in a way where you figure out what it is that you wanna be about and chase that and not let anybody take that from you.
0: Mhm. Yeah, you define it, it's your terms.
1: Yeah, it's yours. Yeah. You will.
0: And I just have to plug that if people are like really into that idea, yeah. you got to pick up Tim's book, The Act Approach, <laughs> because he talks all about this thing called the life map, which is based on yeah. another really awesome thing called the Matrix, yeah. Dr. Polk, um, that, and that tool, I mean, I told you, I haven't done a ton of act like trainings and stuff. And now I'm all like, oh my God, what, what can I do next? Um, but that tool is something I still use the matrix with so many clients because it's like, all right, when, when we're done with it and it's up on the wall and I'm getting it down to take with them, I'm like, okay, here's your life now. Take it with you. I mean, it's (laughs) totally, it's the big picture, but also breaks it down in a, in a way that we can actually understand that's tangible. Mm -hmm. And, and I agree with you that I, that so much of it is like decide what makes your life meaningful and go do that.
1: Yeah absolutely and i love how you said that like decide like you choose you author it right like and that's what it's all about yeah that's that's the heart that's what i believe
0: yeah. and that's the
1: drain that i've been circling i think for the majority of my life you know
0: love that you call it a drain i'm like ooh, we need to go <laughs> deep with that <laughs> um bookmark that for your next therapy session right 100 um, percent. so yeah tell us about some of the things you have going on so you have the book which will be in the show notes you have like oh my god tell us about your youtube channel and your 30-day yoga challenge
1: well so i i mean you're a content creator uh you do some really cool stuff online about a just over a year ago so december 2017 i decided that i was going to so i removed most of my youtube videos like i would say like 75-80% 75-80% of them I left just a couple up that I felt like I didn't either want to recreate or should be there for posterity I made a bunch of them, the ones that I wanted to leave on that people had linked to, like from their own presentation stuff, I left that as a unlisted video, but I, I wanted to really reboot my brand Um, and the reason why is because I was at this this point in my life where I had written the ACT approach and It had won the, um, uh, or no, sorry, it hadn't won an award yet. I'd written the ACT approach and I wasn't really sure which direction I wanted to go with my career. I knew that academia kind of wasn't 100% for me. I knew that I couldn't do this, like sit in this office and talk to people for 30 some odd 40 hours a week doing just therapy. And so I really started to think like, okay, I like giving workshops. So how can I really build up my brand a little bit more? And so I started um, taking my passion for photography and turned it into, all right, I'm going to shoot some really dope B roll for some meditation videos. I'm going to sit down and shoot some talking head videos and talk about the things that I'm really nerdy and passionate about. I think I made some mistakes early on. Um, I did something that was, um, I thought was gonna be incredibly valuable. I created, uh, co-created this product called the the ACT deck. It's like 52 brief ACT practices. It's like a little card deck Um, and it's great. We've had a lot of really positive feedback with that. And so originally what I set out to do with my YouTube channel was to create videos that were really short, super accessible, that people could get, like these little like sound bites of ACT and they've been pretty popular. But I didn't realize that in order to build a following online, like your videos need to be minimum 10 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be like just more engagement with people. And so I've really, over that, it's been just over a year, year and a month, I've really been learning how to change up that strategy and figure out how to offer people things that they value. And that is actually leading me away from writing books. I have. Three more books coming out. A book for clinicians on working with children and adolescents using acceptance, mindfulness, and compassion, which is really cool. It's a series of uh, worksheets, mindfulness practices, yoga exercises, uh, activities that you can do. It's sort of like my greatest hits of what I do in my session with my clients. Um, In workshops, I show videos. So I audio and video record every single one of my sessions. So I actually, and of course, have permission from the clients who I share these from. Um, to show videos. So I show videos of real client sessions in my workshops. So I do workshops. Um, And then I have another book coming out called Mindful Yoga-Based Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, which is, I've been rocking this thing. This has been my passion project for years. Uh, It's a eight-week protocol using yoga as the uh, central discrimination task, like as the actual way to train people how to be psychologically flexible in a group therapy format and it's also has adaptations for for individual therapy as well yeah and then i'm working on uh, a new passion of mine which is a self-help book for self-forgiveness that's being published by new harbinger probably in hopefully early 2020 Yeah. I don't
0: know. I don't think you have enough. I think you need to start on like another book or yes.
1: No. Um... Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I know. So you know what Valerie, my commitment um, to my like personal life and to balance is I'm going to finish out. So the two books, the uh, worksheet book for clinicians and the yoga book, those are done. The final manuscript is in like they're coming out. Like they're already available for like pre-order or whatever on Amazon. But the self-forgiveness book, I'm gonna work on that, and then I'm gonna really seriously reevaluate what I want to do with my professional life. I'm thinking about getting into making documentary films about like wow. compassion, about addiction, about poverty. Um, yeah, just some really like taking my filmmaking skills um, and applying it to something that is a little bit more mm, mm-hmm, meaty. Yeah. Me- thank you, meaty. Yeah. yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, all of that will be linked up in the show notes. And I just have to tell you, like, that someone who has your kind of level of accomplishments and stuff like that, like, normally, I would be like, Oh, my God, I feel so uncomfortable talking to this person and like so inferior. And you just do not make me feel that way, which I think does a lot about you.
1: (laughs) Well, and you're really special to me. We have. uh, Thank you for saying so. Yes, thank you. I want to let that just. Thank you. Soak
0: it in. Yeah. Yeah. well, That and feels I'm,
1: really good for me. Yeah. I'm and glad we have that a special can't. connection. Yeah. We've known each other for a long time. It's nice to reconnect.
0: It is. And, and I hope to stay connected. And I'll definitely be blowing up your inbox of like, what are the trainings that I need to do? And what are you doing? And are you coming to the States? So, so
1: your listeners are going to so get good. this when I say it. But I'm surprised because you have so much experience and you're so engaged. I'm surprised that like you haven't been either like writing your own protocol or even like, you know, becoming a trainer yourself and doing this stuff like you, you have so much valuable experience. Mm,
0: we'll see. We'll see if that's a bridge I cross anytime soon. But yeah. It's... Well, we're,
1: we're looking for co-conspirators in the, in the my act world.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, um, I'm going to do the official sign off and just, oh, and even though it'll be in the show notes, tell us where your, your YouTube channel and your website oh. are.
1: Easiest way to find me online is just the .ca is for Canada, so T-H-E-Z-E-N, social worker. Um, you can also, I'm super highly Googleable, except I'm a little bit miffed about this. For like years, I was always like the number one, like Timothy Gordon, like no matter what, it was like result one, two, three. There was a choreographer in New York who would come up, um, but he'd be like, you know, closer to the bottom of the list. He's not really search engine optimized. But now there's this guy named Timothy Gordon who's writing this book about like, how Catholicism like the decline of Catholicism in the U S is going to predict the downfall of like U S society. And I'm like,
0: no, he's really (laughs) screwing with your SEO. That is totally
1: off brand.
0: Oh my God. I love it. (laughs) Oh, so good. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredible.
1: Are you kidding me? Thank you. This has been awesome.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And you can find the show notes and past episodes over at wonderwelltherapy.com slash podcast. So any links, resources mentioned in the episode, information about guests, all of that good stuff you can find right over there. Also, if you're not already a subscriber, you can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts find me on Instagram at Val K Martin. That's V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. So you can tag me in your screenshots listening and I can give you a shout out. And there's also a link there in my bio to review the podcast right from your phone. It takes 30 seconds and it really helps me out, helps people find the show. See you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions.